Hello everybody, for the fourth consecutive season, welcome back inside the Shark Tank for our season preview. Literally before we came on air, we were just talking about how it's mad that it's now been four years of the Shark Tank podcast officially with this season preview pod. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the same people who've been joining me for the past three seasons, and my good friends, Alex and James. Alex, how are you? Still here, mate. Unbelievable, isn't it? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very excited uh, for the season to come. How are you? Exactly the same. You know, uh, very excited. There's there's a lot to be excited about, which we'll obviously touch upon. Um, and it kind of feels like the season's just kind of crept around the corner. It's, you know, it's been with the Lions and with the Rugby Championship. It's kind of just come out of nowhere, um, which is great because the nights are getting shorter and you need something to, to fill them and Premiership Rugby will do just that. James, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. And yeah, I suppose we are friends, aren't we now? Four years, I think you mentioned just before that we've been doing this. Uh, it's just like all those other cell fans who, you know, make friends and usually in hardship. Hopefully we can... Uh, um, you know, make friends this year, but you know, celebrating successes. So fingers crossed. Looking forward to assessing our chances as this this pod goes on. Well, it's a lot easier to make friends when you're all boozed up down at Twickenham for a Premiership final. So you know, fingers crossed. In nine months' time, that should be where we're at. So we're burying the lead a little bit, but obviously this is our season preview for for the 2021. 2022 season um just in terms of what we're going to cover you know we're going to look at obviously what's happened over the summer for sale uh look at what's happened over pre-season the last couple of weeks uh look at uh the kind of beginning of the season and kind of what we can expect and obviously talk about well what is going to be a good season for sale obviously it's the first full season under uh, alex anderson as director of rugby the squad hasn't changed that much um and expectations are obviously a lot higher given the the fact that Sale were a playoff team last year and obviously uh, in, in quite uh, unusual fashion did make it to a European Champions Cup knockout round as well. So plenty to discuss there. So um, I, I guess we'll kick things off. James, you know, just, just very briefly, um, coming into this season, how do you feel as a Sale fan? Uh, optimistic. Um... I think we were last year as well, but because the season, there wasn't really much of a pre-season last year because we went straight from the kind of COVID um, finishing of the season before, almost pretty much straight into the next season. And it didn't, we didn't kick off that next season until the end of October. So this feels a lot more normal. You know, we've still, we still got a bit of a COVID backlog. We're starting a couple of weeks later than we normally would. Um, but I think we, we, we feel in pretty good shape. And as you said, a lot, not a lot of turnover in the squad. Um, Alex Sanderson's first full preseason, like really implementing his vision for the club and 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 his way of training and and, and measures for success. So there's no reason to think that uh, you know this season is going to be a disappointment. He says. And Alex, what about you? Where where do you stand coming into this season? Yeah, massively excited, as as James said. You know. We, we kind of, I think a lot of our excitement is the fact that this is the first time we're going to see an Alex Anderson team that's really got his stamp on it. You know, he's, interestingly, we've not made that many additions or, or kind of got rid of that many people. Um, so he's clearly happy with the squad and and it'll be really interesting to see how we go. I, I'm hoping that it's not a start to the season like we used to, where we start really slowly. I'm hoping it's a bit different this time. Um 
So just massively excited to see what Alex Sanderson can do with this team. Um, and I think we've made some very savvy additions in the front row that will really help us um, hopefully you sort of be able to not only win our scrums but dominate them. Um, and we've got some hugely exciting players who are going to be a year on full pre-season under Alex. And, and I think that's the, the exciting thing to see players like Rafi Quirk and Conor Doherty who showed flashes last year really kick on into uh, into hopefully performing in, in big games for the team. So let, let's start on the squad then, because I think already we're talking about the impact Alex Sanderson is going to make. It's his first full season. We saw, obviously, what he did with half a season when he first joined the club uh, in that DOR role uh, back in January uh, of 2021. There's obviously a lot of excitement around the coaching staff, but obviously we kind of want to start with the playing squad. And, and the first question I've got for you, Alex, you know, we've, we've kind of beaten around it a little bit, but over the summer, so haven't made that many changes either to the coaching staff or, or the playing staff. And, and coming in to 21-22, three players in, three players out. So for those of you who, who aren't aware of the comings and goings, the, the players in, uh, Tommy Taylor, hooker from Wasps, obviously former uh, former sale player and academy grad. Uh, Simon McIntyre, loose head prop from Wasps, another former academy graduate. And then Nick Shonner, probably the pick of the bunch as a tight head prop coming in from, from Worcester. And then in terms of the players out, you've got Will Griff John, tight head prop, who's, who's gone to the Scarlets to further his international career, Jake Cooper-Woolley, who was released, and Valery Morozov, uh, who was released as well, uh, to go back to Russia. So three players out in the in the front row and three players in, in the front row. Aside from that, there's not been a lot of turnover in the squad. So my question to you, Alex, is what are your thoughts about the squad coming into the season? Have we gotten better? Have we gotten worse? Or are we about par and the improvements are going to come from having that full year of Alex Anderson as DOR? I think we're about par. I think we've probably certainly, I think we'll have improved at tight head. Um, I think Will Griff is a massive loss, but we didn't see loads of him last season through a combination of injuries and, and Wales. Um, I think we'll see a lot more of Shonat. And he is, you know, massively rated by the Worcester fans. And I think rightly so. And from what I've heard, he's looked good in the game so far. And he's obviously absolute. Uh, an absolute beast in the gym, as you can see, uh, if you follow, say, the social media channels. So I think that's really going to help. Um, I think we've certainly, you know, if you look at the others, uh, Tommy Taylor in, we're pretty strong at hooker. And I don't think we thought we were going to be that strong when we brought him in, probably signed, signed him up. But it's no bad thing in terms of uh, terms of selection headaches. I think really good to keep hold of the other hookers as well, to keep hold of Curtis Hand and Ewan Ashman, because there's a bit of nervousness that we might lose them. Um, and then, you know, McIntyre from Morozov, I think, is probably either we've stayed where we are or a bit of an upgrade, especially, you know, McIntyre's been been superb for Wasps. So I think that's really strong. I think, you know, the pack we know is is our pack is unbelievable. Um, and I think the only issue might be if we lose too many players to internationals, especially South Africans. But, you know, I still think we've got a really good strength and depth on that front, um, especially once we get those South African players and Lions. Uh, players and Tom Curry back once they've had their rest. Um, in the backs, I think you know, I, th- I I think we would have maybe liked to see one addition. One, of, you know, I don't think we were asking for much, um, but I certainly think at fullback we've probably still not quite got that table topping fullback threat or that pace in the back three. 
So that's a bit of a shame, but I would say, you know, to counter that is that, as I mentioned before, we've got a lot of exciting academy players who are going to probably come through this year. And you think about Tom Roebuck and Aaron Reid. I think that's probably where our backline um, sort of improvement will come from those players having an extra year, more time to gel. Um, and especially, you know, we've effectively got Manu Tuilangi back, haven't we? You know, we didn't really see him last season at all. So I think there's a lot of potential in that back line for it to be really, really exciting. Um, you know, we in an ideal world, yes, I might have wanted one extra player, but I'm certainly not going to complain that we've kept the squad together. It's been a really, really low turnover, and I think that's only going to help us when it comes to starting the season well, which I think is massively important for us this year. I'm glad you kind of went from the forwards into the backs because the question I've got for you, James, is were you surprised that Sale didn't make any additions to the uh, to the back line uh, over the summer? No, not really. Uh, I, I I think um, you know people are on pretty long contracts at Sale, and uh, I think we can safely assume that we're you know if we're not at the top of the cap, then we're we're there or thereabouts. So. You know, I think the, the the room would be for a squad player. I don't think we need a squad player in the backs. We've got some, you know, talented uh, academy graduates that need to start being given game time. COVID has really strangled the development of, of of academy players across across the Premiership because you know the Championship has had stunted seasons. There's been no rugby below that level. Um, so I think um, you know, I think why why go into the market for a for a squad player? So I think unless we'd seen a lever. Um, I, I don't think there's, there's there's much room. You know, we had speculated maybe, you know, Sam Hill maybe may have bedded in as well as we'd liked and, and Simon Hammersley, some question marks over his position as first choice in the side. But, you know, they're, they're still with us. They're proven premiership performers um, and uh, they're, they're under they're under contract. So we, we go again with those guys. Uh, just to finish off, just to, just to go back to the forwards, I think on some of the things that Alex said, I think, on the hooker situation, which I do think is interesting that we've got four hookers, it's going to be really, really difficult for Sanderson to um, rotate these guys, you know, um, especially because Acker, who's probably nominally first choice, uh, isn't away on international duty because that would solve a lot of problems. Um, and so, you know, unless Langdon is first choice and getting picked by England or Ewan Ashman is getting a lot of game time and getting picked by Scotland, you're not really going to get that much leeway uh, because I think that Tommy Taylor, if he stays fit, and this is the big question mark, because when he left us, he was in brilliant form, you know, was on the edge of the England team, couple of caps, went to Wasp. That first season at Wasp, they got to the Premiership final, didn't they? And he was he was like their player of the season and he was just absolutely awesome. Since then, he struggled with injuries, a number of different injuries, but especially knees and stuff like that. Um, and there's rumours that Diamond had look at, looked at bringing him back earlier and wasn't too sure about the knee situation. So both him and McIntyre, if they stay fit, I don't see any reason why, especially over the winter months, they are going to be our first choice players because McIntyre is a very, you know, he's a proven uh, scrummager at loose head. Um, and Tommy Taylor, you know, he hooks the ball properly, which we struggle with a little bit. Um, and we know that we've been attacked at two in the scrum in the past. Tommy Taylor's not going to go anywhere and he's probably the best thrower in the Premiership or there or thereabouts. So uh, uh, Tommy Taylor's going to get a lot of game time, basically, and how he manages all the others, I think that's going to be a tough job. So 
you know, we, we've kind of said the squad is probably on par with where it was last year, but there's going to be some natural progression. Um, obviously, as young players come through, we'll talk about that in a second. James, throw one back to you. As the squad as it stands now, do you think there are any obvious weaknesses? Because we're, we're talking top four, you know, we're talking about continuing that kind of push to be a, a team that competes on multiple fronts and wins trophies. Do you think the squad as it is at the moment has any obvious weaknesses to it? Uh, do, you, do you know what? I think we, we've talked about it a lot and I think fullback is a little unsettled, which is, you know, if you're talking about the spine of a team, you, you're looking at hooker, number eight, number nine, number 10 and number 15. They're your decision-making positions. They're the guy, you know, they're the guys, if they have a bad game, they can lose it for you. Um, you know, so I think there's still question marks there. I think Luke James lost a lot of confidence. Uh, I think there's big question marks over how Sanderson's managing Luke James as a personality and as a talent in this team. I think there's also question marks over whether, you know, his rapid development at 15 is a permanent development and whether really he is still a centre. Um, so I think, yeah, there's a weakness at 15. Uh, and I think that, you know, with, with the internationals being away with South Africa, you know, we're going to be slightly less dominant up front and a bit more reliant on people staying fit. So I'm thinking about the likes of Jono, Cam Neald, you know, Ben Curry. If anything happens to one of those three, whilst the two Dupriers are away, then we're going to be a little bit light in the back row as well, potentially. So, uh, but I think we, we, you know, with with the strong second row selection there, we've got Visa who can pump back into the back row as well. So, you know, I think we're okay. Uh, and Doug Dale got a lot of game time in the preseason as well. So I guess the, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Alex, then is, again, as we kind of look at this squad, um, of, of the players who started to break through last year, which are the ones that you think are going to sort of make the biggest step up for this season and become part of that first team fabric for, for this season and beyond? Well, I think Rafi is the obvious one, isn't he? Especially with Faf away at the start of the season. And um, I think it would be foolish not to talk about him. I mean, it's it's one of those, isn't it? He almost, by, you know, for the last half of last season, he was in the fabric of the first team. So, you know, will he make that step? Um, has he not already made it is probably the question. But I certainly think we'll see a lot of him and, and it'll be interesting to see how he goes when he has to start. If, if he has to start, because I think he will in the first few games. Um, I think the other one for me that I'm really excited to see is Tom Roebuck because I really don't feel like we've seen the best of him um, in a, in a sales shirt yet. Uh, but there's so many, aren't there? I mean, you, you know, you talk about someone like Aaron Reid who is um, looked really good last season in, in patches. Connor Doherty who came in at twelve and and played out of his skin, um, having never really played there before, and then. I think the interesting one, especially with AJ in the US um, and Rob Dupriya being sort of somewhat unpredictable, is to see where, what Kieran Wilkinson's season does. And I'm probably nicking this from James, but as James has constantly said, this season is a massive one for Kieran Wilkinson. After recovering from that injury, you know, you give him last season to recover and get back into the squad and get his confidence back. You know, this season is huge. And, and I think. We saw a flash on a highlight from when he's on loan at Coventry that made him look like he was back to the guy who, you know, looked like a first team starter when he's playing away in France in the Challenge Cup um, all those years ago, although not that long ago. So 
I when I've watched Kieran Wilkinson, I've rated him so highly, and I think I really want to see him kind of kick on this season. But I think in terms of the players I expect to see, Tom Roebuck is the one that I'm hoping will be the difference maker. And maybe there is a lot of hope in there because I think we are really looking for a winger um, to make the mark on this team. You know, we've got a lot of good wingers who fit into our system, but we've not had someone who can kind of do that electric, get the crowd going for a while since Addison Haley left for me. Uh, yeah, for me, just on the on the forwards, you know, I think considering, we, you know, uh, the, I think that Kuniu stays and is on his way back uh, to the UK and isn't with South African squad anymore, but we're not 100% certain. No one seems to be 100% certain, uh, but we, we seem reasonably confident on that, which seems quite key because we haven't seen James Harper in pre-season. He must have got a knock. But for me, it's a big season for James Harper because, you know, you backing up, you know, really you sort of you're backing up Shonat if if Cooney's not not back at the beginning of the season. And that that's a big responsibility. I think it's a bit different when you know you've got a couple of injuries, you know, but I think he showed enough in last season for us to be actually really very excited about James Harper. And we know that you're not going to be playing for England, uh, you know, a 20 year old tight head. But I think he showed enough to be going, well, he could be that kind of level. Um, and we're bloody lucky to, to to have him. And then the other person that we saw in pre-season was Cal Ford as well, uh, as a tight head, who I think, you know, was due to be out on loan for, for probably the majority of the season. He's been called back into the squad, must be because Harper's got a knock. So I think that that's a really interesting thing. And obviously not to labour the point on, on Kieran Wilkinson, but he started the second pre-season against Chavizo, which you'd expect to be the tougher of the two um, and and played well. Uh, I think the most important thing about the way he played was he kicked all his goals because in the age groups, he, he, you know, he, he always had red path kicking the goals outside of him. So if he can nail his goal kicking, because we know that's a weakness with Rob as well. And we know that Rob's a really good playmaker. And I think he's a leader in the team as well. Uh, so if, if you know Kieran is a playmaker, but if he kicks his goals and he's going there or thereabouts, we we did get um, rectified on, on on one of the pods at the end of last season because Kieran Wilson came off the bench, didn't he, for about three or four games towards the end of the season, acquitted himself quite well, announced himself as back as a first team option, and I sort of said, oh well, he's sort of turning twenty twenty three next year or something, and and he messaged back saying, I'm still only twenty one, I don't turn twenty two until October. Uh, 2021. So he's only just turning 2022. Uh, sorry, uh, 22 in October. So you know he's still a young lad. Uh, and so you know I, I don't think it's the be all and end all if he's not our first choice by the end of the year. But I'd like to see him get game time. I really would because I think he's a different option. And I think you know it's almost like if if McGinty's just been away with the US and and not available for the first game of the season. You know, you, you start to think to yourself, why why not just throw Wilkinson in? I, I I'd be up for that. I think we are maybe unlikely this year to see the same sort of acceleration of prospects that we saw at the back end of last year. I don't think there's going to be the sort of Rafi Quirk equivalent breaking through into the team. But what I'm very excited is as to all those players you mentioned. Wilkinson, Roebuck, Quirk, etc. It's about getting them 15, 20 games at, uh, at the top flight level. And then it potentially is the year after we start to see some of those other academy players come through as well, which is obviously very, very exciting. But it does mean that we've got a reasonable understanding of kind of who's going to be playing significant roles in the first team this year. 
we can kind of start to move away from the squad and actually start to look at, well, you know, how did that squad perform in, in pre-season? So, Sale so played two pre-season games uh, this year. Obviously, as James mentioned, there wasn't really a pre-season last year. The first game was away at Jersey Reds, obviously the championship club, uh, where Sale uh, emerged 19 points to zero winners. Uh, and the second game, uh, last Friday, away at uh, Benetton Treviso in Italy, where Sale won 28-19. Uh, Treviso obviously being the team that won the uh, Rainbow Cup this year with a very uh, surprising win over the Bulls in, uh, from South Africa. Um, Alex, you know, we, 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 we talk a lot of rugby on this podcast and, you know, we, we, we're at a point where, you know, you can kind of cut through the bullshit a little bit. Um, do either of those games particularly matter in the context of sales season? Um, well... I'd like to say yes, but historically, I don't think preseason has any impact on us, does it? I, I, I mean, I didn't watch either game, um, mostly due to access issues. Um, but so I'm not qualified to say whether there was some amazing performances in there and that kind of thing. But I think we know that you know preseason for sale has historically been, um, you know, a couple of runouts that seem to have no bearing because we get to the first game of the season and we get pumped away at Quinns or whatever. Um, hopefully not going to happen this year. I think what what is good is having two wins under the belt and, you know, going away twice and, and kind of, you know, getting hopefully those combinations going. But nevertheless, I think it's probably not... Um, it's fair to say it's not never an indication, is it, of, of the way your season's going to go. And, and if you try and make it an indication, you, you're sort of clutching at straws a bit, I think. So as harsh as it is and, and as good as it is to get a run out, um, I'm a bit disappointed we haven't played Treviso in a previous season because I quite like a September trip to Italy. I can combine it with my holiday. Um, but given it wasn't publicised and also it's quite difficult to get into it today at the moment, then uh, shame I wasn't there, but hey-ho. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, there's there's very little you can say, isn't there, other than you just have to hope that we can take that momentum into it, but that's something we've failed to do. So it's a big mentality challenge for for the, the team and Alex Sanderson to kind of face up to that and go, right, okay, that's two wins and that's the momentum we need to take rather than just two easy run-outs. Yeah, I think, you know, from, from my side, I, I agree you can't really take much from pre-season, although it's always good to get two wins on, on the bounce uh, away from home. James, I'll see if you agree with me on this one, though, that I think the most interesting thing we can take away from pre-season is just those, as, as we mentioned before, which players were involved in those games and which ones were playing with, with the more senior first-team players. And there's a couple that I wanted to highlight because... Uh, I think it was quite telling that, you know, we did see Kim Wilkinson, you know, get time at 10. You know, we saw Cal Ford get some time at tight head. I thought it was very interesting we saw Joe Carpenter, obviously, uh, you know, an age-grade prospect for England at fullback, uh, get some time in with the first team. You know, that's a player who's going into his age 19 season, I believe. Not necessarily someone we expect to see breakthrough, but he's obviously kind of on the radar on that pathway. And then, obviously, to see someone like Denny Solomona uh, get some first-team time through that, he was basically absent for, for all of last season. At um, 15 for, as well. At 15. Which, you know, brings me back to... Alex <laughs> take a deep breath. <laughs> that reminds me... I, uh, there, was a, there was an article, I think it was in The Times, uh, about three or four years ago, and it's an interview with Diamond, 
talking about how they could potentially use his rugby league, how they could use Dennis Olivona's rugby league skill set uh, as a 15. Um, and funnily enough, we never actually saw it in a game. So it'd be very interesting to see whether or not that's a permanent thing. But obviously, Denny Solomon is someone who's not had a lot of game time, getting into uh, the first team again and playing some meaningful minutes. Um, you, the, the kind of point I was getting to there, James, is do you kind of agree that the most significant thing we can take from those preseason games is the fact that Carpenter and Wilkinson, etc., are getting reps? Or do you think there's anything else that you want to highlight as, a, as an impact on the on-sale season? Uh, I think it highlights that it'll be same old for Sanderson in his core beliefs, which is that the squad will be rotated. Um, and we won't know what the first choice side is unless we got to a final or something. Uh, and even then, like, it half picks itself because there's always injuries and things like that. You know, like, Doty got game time in the centre at 13 and at 12. Um, you know, Manu and, and, and Van Ransburg both played together as well. Uh, so that's always an interesting one because I'm not sure how that necessarily works. Didn't see, I don't think, much of Sam James. Um, so that balance in the centre is is a thing. Um, and, and so we'll see how that goes. Uh, Joe Carpenter did get some game time and rapid. You know, if, if we're thinking about pace is the answer to all of our issues at 15, then you just have to, you'd have to pick him. But of course, there's a lot more to that, isn't there? <laughs> you know, you add the pace and then suddenly you can't catch or you can't, you know, tackle properly or be, get your positioning right. So 15 really is a position which, you know, is massively underrated from a defense, defensive point of view. So no, I thought that was good. And, and then the other thing as well, like Gus Wars, obviously in preseason at Doncaster, uh, and we're going to go with, uh, Quirk and Cliff really is the first two um, options at nine and hope one doesn't get injured and then I'd be backed up by an academy lad uh, called Nye Thomas. Uh, very, very young. It'd be a big call if we had to throw him in um, if, if there's any injury. So fingers crossed that, that Cliffy and uh, and Rafi can stay fit through to December when, when uh, Faf gets back. Um, so I think that they'll be really pleased with the 19-0. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they would have been focused on fitness and defence for most of preseason. Um and so I you can bet your bottom dollar that that nil would have been was celebrated enormously uh and bodes quite well. But I think going away to Treviso and winning it is actually a quite a big deal uh even in preseason. Um and there's been a lot of talk Ben Curry's got his um uh his uh, you know his article now that he does his little column that he does uh, um and you know he was sort of a lot of talk there about you know, the whole squad going on tour, you know, an extended squad, which is why I didn't announce teams and, you know, spending time together away from home and getting that bonding thing right. So, you know, I think that all sounds great, but as always, rugby is a momentum sport. And if you start the season with three losses, you, you, you're up against it. You really are. So, you know, it's all about hitting the ground, winning, running and getting a win. Oh, any win for that first game uh, versus Bath, is it? And uh, it's again, it's a Bath at home, I think. So you you'd be expecting to come away with at least four points there, wouldn't you? Well, I'm glad we're very naturally getting on to the start of the season because obviously we're not going to do a preview for the absolute entire season because it take us hours. But we do want to talk about those first couple of games and there's two themes we want to touch upon. Obviously, first, it's actually looking at the first sort of five games of the season. So that's Bath at home, Irish away, Chiefs at home, Gloucester away, and then the Premiership champions, Harlequins at home as well. So a 3-2 split in favour of home, but some tough games in there. The other thing we want to talk about 
is obviously uh, the fact that Seville are going to be without some of their key players uh, because of international commitments over the summer. So, for instance, Faftaclerk and Lude Diago are currently in Australia with uh, with South Africa. Uh, AJ McGinty, as you may have seen, has been with the USA in their World Cup qualifiers against Canada. Uh, Tom Curry's obviously been involved with the Lions, so there's player welfare uh, and uh, mandatory rest periods to consider. And obviously, there are some additional players who were part of the Springbok squad for the Lions tour. Kenny Eustazen, who we've already mentioned, uh, Jean-Luc uh, and Dan Dupria. Dan obviously playing uh, against Argentina in the Rugby Championship a couple of weeks ago. So, Alex, going into the season, Sale are going to be without some very significant players who form the spine of the team that James has so rightly pointed out uh, a few minutes ago. So with that taken into consideration, what do you think is is a good start to the season, given those first five games we've got? And are you expecting anybody to really sort of have to step up if it's going to be a successful start to the season? Yeah, I think naturally not having Dan and Jean-Luc leaves a massive hole at eight. And and how we feel that is is a real tricky one actually when you look at you know the back row players that leaves you with um it, it sort of tends to make you want to pick Jono at eight you know um which is probably the the most sensible option but I, I don't think he's ever been as effective there as you would like your eight to be um although obviously if you have Cam Neild in at six as well it does give you a bit more carrying and and power so then that's really difficult and and there needs to be a big performance there and whether that's from Neil at six or uh Dugdale coming to the side or, or Johnny Ross at eight. I think that will that would make a lot of difference to our games. You know, I think at ten I'm not overly concerned. I think Rob Capri is a really, really solid option and I really like the way he plays. Rafi Quirk and Will Cliff again but we know what both of those can do. Um and then, you know, you look around the rest of the team and, uh, you know, I think with Faf, it always feels like a loss, but, it, you know, he changes our game so much that actually I think we need to learn to kind of move away from relying on him. Uh, so I think that's helpful. And then with Tom Curry, you know, we've we've got an equally good uh, replica. Um, not replica, that's very harsh. Um, we've got an equally good twin. That's factual, isn't it? Who should be playing for England in the Lions, but... Um, people are foolish so you never feel that loss too much either so you know I think it's certainly manageable and and you know they are great players to bring back in and they are all quite high impact players uh, which is another sort of benefit of being able to bring them back in but you know without again without Luke Diago there's a chance in the second row isn't there um, I think JP Dupreo actually looked quite good towards the end of last season um, took a bit of a slow start but He's definitely got a chance to kind of make his name. Josh Beaumont, massive season, another option at eight, actually, well, going back to the earlier point. So I think it's in the forwards where I see that people can really stake a claim and really create that competitiveness because a lot of our game is dictated by our forwards, isn't it? And if our forwards go well, then the team tends to go well. So that's, you know, a real key. And I think if anyone wants to make an impact, it'll be up there Um and then that can get the backs playing and, you know, get Tuolangi on the front foot, get Rohan on the front foot, and, and then it's scary, isn't it? But without that, you know, if you're giving Manu Tuolangi back football, you can only do so much. So that's that's where I definitely see it. And I think it's a big test for the squad, but I also think it's one that will massively benefit us because if you can learn not to rely on those internationals, then when they come back, then it, it is, you know, 
it's another level up and that's when you make the difference in Europe and, and in the final stages of the, uh, of the Premiership. Yeah, and just thinking about the the games that we've got, you listed them just before um, and obviously having more, more games at home is always what you're looking at. You're looking at three three wins there. Um, as much, you know, one of them's Quinns, right? But you, you've got to win your home games if you're going to be in the in the top four. And then you look at the others and you think to yourself, well, you know, we probably should pick up one other there, maybe away from home if we're if we're going to put a real stamp down. So, you know, look, I'd take three wins, but I'd be I'd be wanting four out of those top five, which is a big ask, and would be the best start for sale for a very long time. So, um, you know. Fingers crossed. In terms of the playing squad, got to remember as well. Like Bowman had a very serious injury last year. He did come back and get some, you know, a good run of games before the end of the year. But I'd be quite interested to see him at least in that first game um, at eight. And the reason why is the same reason uh, that I just mentioned about the coming back from injury is that Neil did get some game time in Italy, but he's had a very short preseason because he had a pretty nasty injury at the end of last year. Now, he's going to be, you can tell he's loving the whole thing and will be keen to start. But I would be like saying, actually, he's going to be really, really important for us this year, especially during the winter and especially with the Dupreas not here, to give us that balance in the back row. And I think that at his best, he, I think Jono needs to watch out at six, basically. Um, and especially with with Jean-Luc not around. So I think that to get that balance, I'd start the season with Jono at six and Beaumont at eight. Um, and with Ben Curry at seven, um, rather than go Jono at eight, Ben Curry at seven, or Sam Dugdale at seven and Ben Curry at six, which is what we did against Ealing. I think that's too lightweight, even on a hard tracks. So that's what I'd do. And then, and then I'd look to phase Neil back into the team and play Jono at eight and move Beaumont back into the, uh, Beaumont back into the second row. Visa at six is another option. So yeah, look, there's, there's lots of nice things there that we can do. You mentioned JP Dupria. Matt Postlethwaite didn't get a look in in the second half of last season. Is he going to be given a go? I don't. I don't know. But you know, he does offer at least depth in that position. And just to talk about nine, I think it's an interesting one because I've well, we all have actually been huge advocates of Will Cliff, um, and he had a bit of a difficult second half of last season. Well, let's remember that the second half of last season sort of started in March on hard tracks, and I think that at thirty-three and the way that Will Cliff plays. He's not, he, you know, I think it was fine two, three years ago. It's less so now. And I think that you've got to start with Rafi. And I know that they'll be tempted to have the impact off the bench with Rafi, uh, with the way that he plays and conscious of the fact he's only ever started one premiership game. So it's quite a big ask to suddenly marshal the troops. But I, 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 I would be saying, no, this is Rafi's thing now. You start and you have Will coming off the bench to close the game out. On the hard tracks, I think Will Cliff comes into play to start games even with uh, with Faf back in the winter months because you have to play in a different way. But I think you know, I'd love to see Rafi start now. Let's give him a run of two or three games before you then rotate Will in. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see on that. What do you think, Lewis? Is there anybody that you think you'd like to see more of um, forwards or backs first few games of the season? I think it's a difficult one because I think... Because the players that we we're going to miss are all going to come back at different times. There's there's not necessarily massive opportunities to give Josh Beaumont five games in a row. Um, I think that only really um, kind of 
will will happen with Diaga and Declare, the ones who are actively playing for a Southern Hemisphere nation uh, at the moment. Even Tom Curry will be back within the first couple of games. The, the player that I'm I, I'm most excited for is Kieran Wilkinson. But again, AJ is going to come back after a couple of weeks um, and, and dovetail with Rob DePrius. So he's not necessarily, uh, you know, a, a chance for Wilkinson to, to play the first 20% of the season or whatever. I think the thing I'm most excited to see is is going to be that that backline play because it's something that we, we, we've kind of, you know, gone away from a little bit in previous years. You know, the last sort of season where we were a consistently good attacking team, um, you know, was was when Will Addison and Mike Haley were playing for us. You know, we could we score points, we can play attacking rugby. You know, we showed that last year, you know, but we're not exactly a team that, that can beat you three or four different ways just yet. And I think that will come. So the thing that I'm really excited to see for the first couple of games of the season is less individuals and actually more team play. Be- because we don't have the Dupriers up front, because we're potentially missing Ustays and uh, we won't have Diaga, that weakens our forward pack quite significantly. And it means we are going to have to try and play in a slightly different way. Um, and, and off the back of that, you know, you want to be seeing Tuolangi running over people. Uh, you know, you want to be seeing Van Rensburg get, get meaningful minutes. And then obviously, you know, what, what can the, the back three do? You know, Denny Solomona may be playing at 15, but he's going to be back and, and an option. Tom Roble potentially gets a chance. Aaron Reed gets a chance. McGuigan and Yard are available as well. So that's the thing that I'm most excited to see. And I think it'll be a really good test of sales credentials as a team that can, you know, uh, challenge over the course of a full season because we're not going to be able to do for those first five games, what we did so well last year, which was completely dominate teams up front um, and then get our backs involved to, to pad the scoreline. It's going to have to be a slightly different game plan. It's going to be exciting to see the sort of tactical um, versatility that Alex Anderson's going to have to uh, bring to each and every game. Um, and it's exciting to see some of the other members of the squad get chances to, to really be significant members of, uh, of, of the on-field game plan. Um, and with that kind of in mind, you know, the, the big thing we want to get onto before we, you know, sort of wrap things up and, and take a broad look at the Premiership is regardless of what happens in those first five games, you know, Sale are going to play 22 this year. Uh, they're going to play in Europe. Uh, they're going to play a lot of rugby. And ultimately, the season doesn't necessarily get decided in those first couple of games. What I want to ask you, James, is this is... Year one, if you want to call it, maybe year two of Alex Anderson in charge. We were a top four team last year. We got to a knockout. Uh, we got to a knockout round in, in Europe. What constitutes a good season for Sale this year? Because I remember when we, we kind of ca- caught up about Sanderson uh, on, on the emergency part and we spoke at the end of last season. You know, We said with Sanderson in charge, we'd be happy with top six and we go for top four again this year. We've actually surpassed those expectations massively uh, in the last sort of eight or nine months. And we're a top four team now. Uh, so with that all sort of considered, is it enough to be a top four team again and be pushing extra Bristol Saracens? Or do we need to see more this year? No, I think top four. Uh, you cannot underestimate. This is how someone like Cockrell got sacked from Leicester. Yeah, you, you, you have to not get carried away here. You know, we're we're owned by rich people who can pay up to the salary cap. Like everything can go away in like one flick of a you know pen, signing off the club or whatever. Like you know, so and and you have to take also into account what other clubs are doing. And you got Saracens back in the Premiership, um, and I think 
whilst their squad is nowhere near as deep as it was. I mean, when you look at it, it's nowhere near as deep. Um, they are going to be really open during international periods. Um, so I don't think they're a dead cert for top four, but there's got too much DNA in that club, too many winners, not to be, I think, confident of get, getting there or thereabouts, fourth or fifth, right? And then you've got somewhere like Leicester that really are on a project here and you know, that they did really well last year. They, that means to come from where they were, which was they would have got relegated in the COVID year, right? And then to go to 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 get into the into the top sort of six uh sort of race last year, I thought was a massive step forward. Steve Borthwick's a really good coach. You've got someone like Wiggy there who's stepping into the coaching as well. And I think that they've got a few really clever signings and a few academy players coming through and they're building a new identity. And so I think Leicester I think that they're not they're not dead certs for a top four, but I'd be surprised if they weren't top six. So suddenly you're thinking, oh, it's getting a little bit cosy up there, you know, because you're not you'd be shocked if Bristol or Exeter didn't come in the top three, because you know Bristol don't have that many international losses of players and they score so many tries with bonus points and stuff. I think it just gets them into the top three, and Exeter are just so consistent. I just can't see them outside the top two. So suddenly, to those top, you know. And then you've got Saracens Leicester that I've just mentioned, and Quinns are the champions of England, which is obviously a bit of a, a bit of a joke um, because we were playing rugby in the middle of June or whatever it was, whatever it was, and that massively uh, helped them. But clearly, they're not going to fall off a cliff, are they? It'd be shocking if they didn't come in the top six. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough out there, and it's going to be a grueling campaign. We're fighting on two fronts, three fronts with the Premiership. Cut back up, get up and running as well. Um, so you know, finishing in the top four would be a very good performance. Of course, we would love to get to um, get to a final, but no, for, get top four would be a fantastic result for me. So, where, where do you stand on it, Alex? Do you agree? Top four is enough this year? Yeah, completely. And I think. You know, you, you kind of want to see that progression, but I think with Saris coming back into the league, that still would be progression to keep in the top four, you know, bearing in mind where we ended up last season. Um, so 100%. And I, I think we've got to factor in that, you know, Saris have had a relatively easy season beforehand. You look at the impact of Newcastle last season when they came up, having not really played in the Championship and they were fresh. And they went straight at it and they were way ahead of all the other teams for the first four weeks and then they fell off the cliff. Saris won't do that. And I think they will start really strongly and then they'll be in a good position. Um, I agree on on Bristol and I think that's one area that we really need to improve is our bonus points and that's a massive sort of target. So if we get in the top four and play attractive rugby, I don't think, you know, and that puts us into contention. With our defence, we're in contention in every game. And you saw that last season, you know, we haven't gone back to the old sale of, you know, we have a shocker one, you know, we don't get on the bus one day. Um, and I think part of that is from the work Sanderson's done around the kind of mental resilience and that that kind of thing. So 100%, if we get top four, then we're in with the shout. And I think we can beat anyone home or away. I really do. And we have, you know, we've beaten Exeter at Sandy Park. Um, not last season, but the season before, I think we did. Um, We've beaten Bristol away a couple of times. Um, I don't think we've ever beaten Sarries away, have we? Or not for a long, long time. So that's a real big challenge. But, you know, 
it's one we'll rise to. And, and you know, Sarries are going to miss Alex Sanderson. I don't think anyone's really quantified the impact of that yet. And I don't think they will until halfway through this season. You know, how much impact did he have there? That's all gone away from Sarries and to us. So, yeah, top four's, the, top four's got to be the aim, I think. And, and then you leave yourself in contention. We, we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves, especially with, you know, the, this is a project. This isn't Alex Sanderson, you know, three years down the line. So uh, a stable base is is all you can ask for. And, you know, it's just good to be excited about sale. And, you know, I don't think last season we would have been talking, like, in these terms. So um, a lot more faith in us, but um, let's keep the patience. that we, we were very patient with Dimes and the new owners. Let's keep the patience with Alex. So with all I've been said, and, and for the record, I agree, finishing in the top four this year would be a, a good achievement and good progress, given that the league has gotten tougher. Um, I think it's probably important to kind of highlight what are going to be the differences this year in the league. Because Saracens are back, it's going to be a tougher league. There's, there's just no doubt about that at all. Um, and the thing that's going to separate Sale from your Harlequins, your Leicesters, your Saracens, etc., is going to be coaching. And I know, James, you're very keen to sort of to, you know, to discuss that in a little bit more detail because you very rightly pointed out to us off air before we started that um, we, on our end of season pod, were expecting to see some coaching turnover. Um, and as we've alluded to earlier in, in this episode, that hasn't happened. So what, do, what, what are you sort of looking at? from a coaching perspective going into this season? Um, and are you surprised that we didn't see any changes across any of the um, the existing positions at sale over the summer? Um, I mean, I think we were a little bit surprised in a sense that there have been some rumours in the rugby paper and otherwise that maybe Dorian West um, wouldn't fit into the sale sort of setup. Um you know, Saris, uh, Sanderson's quite a forward-looking modern coach and obviously Westy's more of your kind of your out of your diamond school of, of coaching. And it's not to say one's better than the other, just to say that that, that could be a potential area of of, of conflict. Um, and conflict can be a good thing if it gets better outcomes, but it can also be a bit of a bad thing. So, um, you know, Westy's got, got a track record of falling out with people. So I think it's testament maybe to the way that they've built this relationship. You know, Sanderson is somebody that people can get behind and, and hopefully, you know, he's he's laying the groundwork now saying this is what we want from, from us as a group of coaches. You know, we did see a, an improvement with our attack a little bit um, once Deacon folk got back focused on that completely because I think that, you know, at Christmas sort of time, we were starting to question whether, you know, if, if Deacon wasn't going to be the, the director of rugby, uh, you know, was he even going to be our attack coach? But I think he deserves another go at it this year. I think there was definitely some improvement happening towards the end of last season that I think he deserves the opportunity to build upon. I think it also signals that Sanderson is refraining from being too much on the pitch because obviously his background was forwards coach, defence coach at Saracens. There must be, and and, and Forshaw's got the defence absolutely locked down, let's be honest. So he was only going to be adding on that. But there maybe was a bit of temptation to get in with the forwards, you know, go back to what you know, comfort zone kind of thing, prove yourself at the club. He obviously thinks that Westy can play a play a role there. Um, he did make some changes, you know, mid-season. We did have the kicking coach come in. 
um, which I think they've got a bit of a Kirk and Grammar uh, linkage there, um, which I think we discussed during the season. So, yes, I am a little bit surprised, um, but also quite thankful in some ways because we, you know, it just maybe we were a bit worried when Diamond left that a new person would come in and there'd be another upheaval. And actually, you know, we got to the semi-final of the of, of the competition last year. Um, you know, despite the upheaval of last season, which makes you think, well, why change something that's not broken? So I think he's keeping his options open, um, and we'll, we'll give these guys a go. Just on the coaching um, approach, the coaching. Because Alex was was sort of talking there about the need to maybe change the way we played, and Lewis, you alluded to the fact that that will be the differentiator. Um, and certainly on attacking bonus points, we have been atrocious for the last two years. I mean, re- I mean, really bad, kind of like relegation level of of of, of try bonus points. Um, what we've got that's just as good as anybody else, and probably the best in the league, is our losing bonus points. So let's not lose track of that. Our defence especially last season, picked up as a lot of losing bonus points, which other clubs that sort of peaked and troughed didn't manage to pick up. I think it's why we ended up finishing relatively comfortably ahead of Quinns, despite them getting a lot of tried bonus points. Um, So I don't think it's just all about the attack, but I would like us to see it develop. Um, But we've got to remember as fans that we ain't going to go back to those Hayley and Addison times, which were amazing to watch. And sometimes we'd score four tries and lose. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and, and that was, you know, great as a kind of neutral or as a fan, you know, unless you were in a relegation battle, which teams seem to happen every other year. Um, you know, I, Sanderson, Saracens, you've got to remember that Saracens are capable of playing, of scoring a lot of tries and of playing really good rugby, but they only sort of unleash it when they are comfortably dominant in other areas of the game. So it'll, it'll, it, you'll hear Sanderson talk about it a lot this season, just as he did last season, which will be about collisions. Uh, he talks about collisions all of the time, winning the collisions, be, be, bringing the physicality, bringing the mentality to put your body on the line one more time. And I'm afraid that, that, is, that, that that's his mentality. I don't think we're going to suddenly be sort of, become, we're never going to become Bristol or Quinns is my point, but we can still win it without becoming Exeter, uh, I, I hope. <laughs> so I think we're, we're actually coming to a bit of a natural stopping point here where, you know, we, we've kind of looked at the season ahead. You know, we've got a good sense of kind of who is who's going to be the key players for sale, who's going to be coming through the ranks, etc. Um, so I want to just, you know, kind of wrap things up by taking our focus away from sale, just, just very briefly, because obviously it's a premiership season preview as well. Um, and I guess, Alex, you know, from from your perspective, kind of looking around the premiership, we, we kind of know what sale are going to be, very similar to last year. We know what their trajectory is like. Are there any teams that, that you kind of look at their off-season business or the changes they've made or the players that are coming through that, that you think might be, surprise packages this year or conversely might be uh, surprise packages in a more negative sense and slide down the table you know I I do think that Exeter haven't they are superb and I think they're a brilliant team but I don't think they've kind of advanced their team as much as maybe they would have liked to to keep up you know you, you look at where they were how far ahead they were and then they'll still be in the, as James says, they'll still be in top two, top three. 
Um, but I think they seem to struggle a bit at times last season. And I still think that they're, you know, they're in terms of strengthening their squad, they've they've kind of they've not done they've not fixed any of the issues that they had at times last season. I mean, you know, at times last season they were unplayable and, and they will, as we say, as I say, you know, be right up there. But um I was surprised that maybe there wasn't a little bit more activity from them. But no, I think a lot of people have strengthened really well, haven't they? Um, you look at Northampton, have brought in a couple of really exciting players. The number eight, whose name I've forgotten that they've just announced. Um, you know, Wasps, I think, have done some exciting business. Um, so a lot of teams have signed a lot of good players. Where, how long it takes them to bed in is the question for me. And I think... That's probably where we've got the advantage. There's very few teams other than probably Exeter as well. Um, and Bristol to an extent that are stable. But Bristol have lost uh, Earl and Malins back to Saris, which is a massive loss for them, I think. Because um, I think especially Malins brought a lot to their back line that he will now take to Saris. So I don't think any team put themselves in a worse position than they were last season. I think a lot of them have shown you know, steady kind of growth and have made some very sensible pickups and, and there's not really other than Worcester who've had an absolute clear out and brought in a few high quality internationals, no one's had the kind of, you know, shocking um, I don't know what the word is, but you know, transfer activity. It's all been a bit of a strange one, hasn't it? Because we're sort of we've got obviously got the financial impacts of COVID and we've catching up from a very weirdly timed season. But on that point, and I guess I'll, I'll chuck this one at James, you know, Alex has quite rightly pointed out, you know, there's not a lot of teams where it's very obvious that they've taken a, a big step backwards. Um, Harlequins will take a step backwards this year, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, James, from your perspective, are, are there any teams that you're looking at and you're thinking they've done some really good business this year and they're going to be a better team as a result? Because from the way I look at it, I'm looking at the squad list and, and everything at the moment, Kind of feels like there's no, there's not been any activity that's really going to move the needle this year. But I'd be happy to be, you know, proven wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think there's anybody bringing in new players. I think Worcester are taking a different approach. You know, clearly bringing in someone like Rory Sutherland, uh, Joanne van der Merwe, both Lions uh, this summer. You know, that's going to change the the dial maybe a little bit for them. But they've also lost Sean to us and, and otherwise. So. I don't think they're suddenly going to be fighting top six, but I do think they're an unknown quantity if they can bed down their players quite well. I think one team have taken a bit of a step back. I think uh, Bath. Um, I, I, I worry for Bath a bit this year. You know, the, 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 you know, someone like Christian Judge going going to Worcester, Zach Mercer to Montpellier, uh, Reese Priestland going back to Cardiff. I think he's he's been in such awesome form in the Premiership now for about three years. I think they've almost been punching above their weight. Uh, they've lost, you know, uh, Henry Thomas has gone to Montpellier as well. Um, just trying to think, you know, Stuke, I think, has gone to Wasps. I mean, look, I'll obviously do my my, my game previews um, and I focus on Bath deliberately because it's the first game. But, you know, I, I, I worry for them. On the players in, I don't see anybody in there that's to, 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 to worry about. So I don't think... I think they're taking this as an opportunity this year, Bath, to, to almost you know, get on a reasonably good financial footing after COVID and we shouldn't forget that. You know, these clubs have been battered during COVID with no fans um, in the stadium spending money. So I, I think there's some savvy businessmen at Bath and they're taking a breather this year. 
Um, and, you know, hope, hopefully, uh, you know, that they'll invest again in, in future years. I, I like, though, what, what Leicester have, have, have done. I think Marco van Staden is a very good purchase for them. You know, they, they are adding some steel back into this into this Leicester forward pack with Jasper Visa as well, who didn't have his best series against the Lions, but it was his first three test matches. So, I mean, you can forgive the lad and just come back roaring in the rugby championship. Um, so I think that that's very clever. And someone like Freddie Burns coming back to the club as well, I think we'll just add something a bit different for them when George Ford is away because they've really suffered with George Ford not being there. And then there's always been this massive drop-off to the next 10, which I think has changed the way that they've been able to play. I don't think they're going to have a problem with that. And then you look at the academy players who are another year on, you know, the Dan Kellys, the the, the George Martins, the Jack Van Poorfleets, the Freddie Stewards, you know, I, 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 think, I, I think that's... That's pretty savvy, and I'd like. I I think that Leicester are going to, at the very least, solidify their their place in the top six. I just want to, because we've not mentioned them at all so far. I want to give a little shout out to to Newcastle as well, who I think you know, sort of pound for pound, I think have made some really good investments. You know, we know that they're a team that that I think now spend the least of of any team. Uh, in the Premiership, but if you kind of look at their outgoings, it's a lot of players who are retiring or have been released. You know, you, you Tom Arscott, you John Hardy's, uh, Toby Flood has obviously retired, John Welsh, etc. You look at the players that they've brought in, um, and obviously Mike Brown uh, is sort of well past his international best, but very savvy operator. And obviously, absolutely loads of experience to, to kind of mentor the very exciting backline talent the Falcons have got. Uh, Nathan Earl, I think, is probably my pick to be the sort of signing of the season. If he can get into some good form for Newcastle, he could be someone who's scoring 12, 13 tries for them this year. They'll get lots of chances to play, and I think he's a fantastic player who's maybe not reached his potential yet. So uh, Newcastle, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very sort of high... Uh, low risk, high reward sort of signing. But then, you know, looking at um, some of the signs they made in the pack as well, George Merrick, loads of experience, uh, obviously as a former Quinns and Worcester player, Richard uh, Richard Palfreman as well from Worcester. There's just these, every signing they've made, is, there's so much experience from a, on a premiership level that they're bringing in. And they've got some very, very exciting young players. There's big question marks at 10. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're going to be a top six team. Um, but I think there is enough sort of young talent there that they've accentuated with some really solid premiership players that's going to help them, in theory, be a much better team this year. So they're one I'm very excited to see. Um, I think they've done very well. Kind of the opposite approach with with Worcester, who've obviously spent spent massively. Um, I believe it when I see it, I think, with the Warriors. I think you, you can add as many British and Irish line wingers as, as you want, but... I think there's bigger holes in the squad that need fixing first. So, um, you know, those are just two teams that I wanted to highlight as as ones where I think Newcastle you could see some steady incremental growth this year, and Worcester I think that they're, they're kind of swinging big to try and make a bit of an impact after uh, you know obviously as you mentioned James, a couple of quite lean years for for clubs. So, um, final I guess final call then, uh, Alex. I'm going to go to you first. Season preview. I've got two questions for you. The first, who's Sale's most important player 
this season. And then the second is who's, who is going to be the most important player in the Premiership this season. Oh, that is a tough one. Okay. I think Sale's most important player, as it was last season, is going to be AJ McGinty. Because, I mean, for those of you who were at the barbecue, he picked up every award going. Every time he came off the stage, you had to go back on and get another one for player of the season or fans player of the season or, um, you know, just being generally incredible at rugby. And I think if AJ is the one that could win his title, I do think that. And, and if we, you know, can get him keeping fit, then that'll be huge. So that's my one for sale. For Premiership player of the season... I mean, I think AJ will be up there, but it's it's a bit unfair to go with the same answer. So, oh, it's a tough one. Uh, I think if Farrell plays well for Saracens, then that will change the composition of the league because I think without him, they they may, you know, not quite reach the heights that that they used to. Um, and I think he's had a pretty tough couple of years, and it'll be interesting to see him back in the Premiership, getting regular game time. Um, so I will go for the obvious choice of Aaron Farrell, but I will do a special mention to Nick David, who I think could absolutely tear it up at Quinns. Um, I think he could be fearsome. So I'm excited to see him play, although I'm disappointed it's for Quinns. <laughs> James, yeah. same... Sorry. Yeah, I was no, say, same question David, to you. David and Earl going elsewhere, they're the kind, they're, they are maybe two of the kind of back three players that we, we could have had our eye on as being English qualified as well. Um, I think the Saracens will be fine with or without Farrell. You know, you've got Alex Good back from Japan. I think he'll play plenty at 10. I think he kicks all of the goals. Um, so, obviously, you're looking for sort of Manu uh, Vunapola to sort of come through, and he was first choice 10 in the championship games. But I think I think they'll be fine. Don't forget Malins is back at Saracens as well, uh, who, who, who can play 10. Um, so, I, I think they'll be fine. I, I think the most important player... For in the Premiership will continue to be Sam Simmons, just because I just think he just you know to score that many tries at num from number eight and the way that Exeter play that close to the you know within the five meters, uh, I just think I I just think it's just unique. Uh, I really do uh, in what he can do, um, and it's not to say that I think he's the best eight in the world or anything like that. I just think with the way that that Exeter play and built the team around him, I think he'll remain the most important player. Although, just to have a bath edge for uh, based on what I've just said, and with that being the first game, I think they're just totally reliant on Ben Spencer. Uh, completely reliant on Ben Spencer. He'll probably be kicking the goal, goals as well this year. If he gets injured, they're stuffed as far as I can work out. Um, for And for, for, for Sale, yeah, you can't look beyond AJ. And we really saw it, not just with the... And it's a bit unfair, I suppose, with the semi-final kind of thing. But I think because of his kicking percentages last year, um, it, it just makes all of the difference. And the way he defends in that 10 channel, um, I, I just I struggle to see much beyond him being our, our most important player. But, but you know, a lot depends on how Kieran Wilkerson comes through as well. So uh, they're, they're, my, they're my two. What about you, Lewis? I'm going to go slightly off the cuff here and say... Um, most important for Sale, I've got Nick Shonner down. I think Sale showed pretty well last year, basically running with Kearney Eustazen and James Harper. But I think if Sale are going to push on, you, you, you need three props, obviously. 
um, and you need them to really kind of step up. And it's a gamble we're taking on Shonnet, like we did with Wilgriff John a couple of years ago. Nick Shonnet has shown himself to be a very good premiership player playing for Worcester in the bottom third of the table. The question is, can he make the step up and prove himself as, as a top four quality prop? Um, and I think that that's going to be a big thing because if he can make that step up, that gives Sale potentially uh, a real sort of dominant edge of the scrum, which is also something we've never necessarily have. And it's another weapon in our arsenal, which could come in very handy for having to play Exeter or whoever in the, uh, in the, in the playoffs. Um, but in terms of the Premiership, I'm sticking with the Exeter theme and I'm going um, with Joe Simmons um, because I am of the opinion that Alex is right. The league is very different to when Exeter did the double even just a couple of years ago. And the league is is tough enough. Saracens are back. Quinns have shown that they can win the league. Sale are a better team. Leicester are getting better. And I think more and more we'll see Exeter's advantage in the forwards while still be there will won't necessarily be the the huge gap that it used to be and if Exeter are going to continue to be the sort of dynastic team they need Joe Simmons to step up uh, and become really a test player because I think he probably is now but he needs to do kind of almost what Marcus Smith did last year and really start to shepherd the team around obviously the pressure is is a lot less on Simmons versus Smith where Simmons has a lot more talent around him. But I think if, if Exeter are going to reach that kind of Saracens level of, of kind of uh, success and consistent success, it's going to be a big season for Joe Simmons uh, to show that Exeter can actually play uh, in, in multiple different ways, and he's going to be the catalyst for that. So that's the Premiership. Oh, sorry, Alex, go ahead. Sorry, Matt, I've just decided to controversially change my answer since James probably rightly said that Farrell was a rubbish answer. Um, I'm going to go completely off piece, but Stefan Levice at Quinns, since he came in, has put them on the front foot in the forwards, and that has allowed Karen Smith to play off front football. So I think he's massive for them, and he signed a long-term contract um, sort of halfway through last season, didn't he? So I just thought that was a slightly more interesting answer than Aaron Farrell. So I'm going to change that mind to that. Um, I, I was going to say Marcus Smith, but then I think Smith is brilliant, but he won't change the league. He will change the league if he gets the chance to, but I think that's entirely then dependent on the Quinn's pack and, and Levis lead in that. So um, He might change the league in that he gets picked by England. Yeah, yeah. Because, because there's not the depth behind him at 10 at Quinn's. Um, and he was brilliant last season and kicks all the goals. I think I think you'll find Tommaso Alan has signed for Quinn. So, and it's of equal yeah, quality. Sorry, yeah, Tommy Allen. He's, he's away with Italy. <laughs> so I don't really understand that signing. Yeah, mate, I will never understand why anyone has signed Tommaso Alan unless they're better than Chiriso, but there we are. Okay, cue here like a last minute drop goal from Tommy Allen to beat Sale at the bloody, you know, now. <laughs> yes, and someone to clip that, the, the Quinn's yeah. podcast to clip that and just replay it over and over. <laughs> Right. Well, I'm not. I'm not tempted. Fair. Let's let's get away from the premierships. The, the final thing we want to do as part of our season preview is uh, just touch a little bit on some of the other club competitions as well. We've kind of already spoken a little bit uh, about about the Champions Cup and, and the Premiership uh, Rugby Cup, which is returning this year. Sale are obviously incumbent champions, um, and uh, I guess James, just briefly, because uh, the European 
uh, Rugby Association has, has decided to stick with the same Champions Cup format um, as from the COVID-shortened season. Uh, it's two pools of 12 teams, that's correct, yeah. And Sale, uh, uh, as part of that group stage or pool stage, uh, will play two teams, uh, one from the United Rugby Championship and one from the, the top 14. Uh, and then it'll go to the... Um, Eight, eight way seeding that that was uh, that was in place last year. I think that's all correct. Anyway, it's, it's it, an absolute nonsense either way. So I wouldn't even bother trying to learn it. It'll <laughs> change. It'll change three times during the season anyway, won't it? It certainly feels that way. But anyway, so Sale have been drawn with, with Claremont and, and Ospreys as part of that pool stage. Now, we saw last year that you can uh, not win a game at the pool stage and still make it through to the knockout. So maybe we don't have to get too worried about it. But uh, Alex, um, just at the face of it, um, two games against Ospreys, two games against Claremont. Uh, what do you think of Sale's chances of getting through uh, to that knockout round? Um, I'd, I'd say fair, but I don't think... I'm not holding out any great hope. Um, I think we should beat Ospreys, um, both well, certainly at home and and you know probably away. I think we're we're a better side than them uh, now. You know we've come a long way from when we used to play Welsh sides away, uh, and Welsh sides have fallen quite a long way as well, uh, equally. So I think we should beat them. Whether we will, I think we might. I think I think we'll probably beat them at home and lose away. Claremont really tough, hard place to go. We have won away in Claremont recently, which I was baffled by um, when I remembered that it happened. It must have been something that I wiped from my memory in the um, in the dark years. But I, I don't see us winning in Claremont, um, especially given how few games there are. I think you know they'll be very keen to put their stamp on us. So I would probably two two wins. I think would be a decent return, and that's probably how I see it going. Whether that's two against Ospreys or both home matches. Um, so, and I think I'd be happy with that. You know, I'm, I'm far more invested in the league this season. I think the European competition is a, in a bit of a strange place, especially with COVID, um, and that's not really, um, not really, you know, as exciting for a sale fan this season for some reason, whatever that is. Although, if you manage to get to Claremont in January or whenever it is, then um, do enjoy. Uh, I'm not sure I'll be following you. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, which is. I was going to say, you know, what what's a good season for Sale in the Champions Cup? But because of this strange format that they've got going on, do you think it's is it not a failure if Sale don't get out of the pool stage because you know we're only playing four pool games instead of six? Yeah, it's effectively a, it, it comes it's down to almost knockout, isn't it? It's, it's obviously not knockout, but I think with so much movement going on and you're in such a weird league table and, and that kind of thing. I think it's you know it's not like you're in a fourteen pool where you play everyone twice and you can kind of work out where you need to be. I think it's all very unknown, and for that reason, I think not qualifying wouldn't be any great loss. You know, all we would yeah you know, I I think getting the how far we got into Europe last season gave us a massive advantage in the Premiership and kind of you know gave us enough momentum without tiring us out. Um, and I think where this squad is. You know, let's be honest, we're not at the level of final stretches of European competition. And therefore, you know, getting a couple of wins against Ospreys and Claremont, I think, is where we should realistically set our expectations. Because, you know, you're coming up against teams with great, great players. And and we have got very, very good players. And we're on a journey and we're a very good team. But 
you know, we we got shown where we were against La Rochelle, didn't we? And um, I think we are quite far off where we want to be in Europe. But that's, you know, it's part of the project, isn't it? And that's part of the challenge for Alex Sanderson, um, I think, is to manage those two things. But certainly for this season, it, as you say, it's year one of Alex Sanderson in theory, isn't it? In last year being year zero. Um, but I think we, it comes back to that patience that I mentioned before. Uh, and James, I'm giving you the more exciting of the other competition of the two competitions they'll be playing in, in addition to, to the Premiership this year, which is the return of the Premiership Rugby Cup. Sale are obviously coming in as, as reigning champions. No, no tournament last year. Um, you know, you like academy prospects, and I think there'll be plenty of those playing in the Premiership Rugby Cup this year. I, th- I think they will. I think uh, he's going to give uh, a lot of the youngsters game time in that. It'll be really interesting to see how that dovetails with a lot of these guys being out on loan in the championship um, because it is an opportunity for them to play together in sale colours. But equally, you know, sort of if they're, if they're bedded in in Cov- Coventry or Doncaster or wherever, then there's value to that as well. So that'll be just really interesting to see how he balances that. As always with the Premiership Cup, you don't take it too seriously until you're you know, two thirds of the way through the group stage, and then and then work out whether you know you're going to be taking. You know, if you get into the knockout, then then, then suddenly you take it seriously because it's an opportunity for silverware, and we shouldn't dismiss that. But ultimately, having won it recently, it's the it's the genuinely the least priority. Um, and uh, let's just see where we get to that on that. Just my final point on the on the Champions Cup. Um, you know, the Ospreys they do have Ants come back, but he hasn't played for about sixteen years. Um, and you know, I think that we should. I think we we go to them away first, and then we're at home against Claremont, which I think is a. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but if that's the way around it is, that's perfect for us because you get the opportunity to go down to the Ospreys and do what we did against the Scarlets last year, and then you're at home against Claremont where you should win. So then, if you have two wins on the board, it change as always with the Champions Cup, even though it's. That's why they've got this new thing because, it, you know, with the old group structure, you'd have these dead games at the end where teams put out weaker t- sides. But even so, I think it changes the nature of it. Ospreys might be knocked out of the comp by the time they come to us and you're looking for bonus points and things like that. So I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can do well in it. I think that, you know, the players won't stand for not prioritising it because that's why people like Faf and Dan Dupree and all of the rest of it are over here in the first place. To play in that competition. So, no, Premiership Cup, bottom of the priorities. Right. I think that's just about everything. So, thank you so much to our listeners. Uh, we wouldn't be doing this podcast without you. Uh, certainly wouldn't have been doing it for four, four seasons now. So, thank you so much to everyone who's listened to us over those last four years. Over the summer, thank you to everyone who signed up for the Patreon as well. Uh, you know, we're very excited to be back for another season. Um, and just like Sail Sharks under Alex Anderson, the Sharks on podcast is also going from strength to strength. So uh, we're glad you're along for the ride. I would be absolutely remiss, though, before signing off, not to ask one more question of James, which is, James, what do you think of Sail's 2021-2022 home and away kits? <laughs> I, I I mean, like a lot of our listeners, you struggle to get away from the the logo. It's a big smiley face on the on the front of the on the front of the kit. Uh, it's also fair to say that it looked a hell of a lot better on the players than it did on two on YouTube mugs. Um, I mean, there's no question, is it? I mean, it's it's just. I mean, they've made a mistake in some ways d- doing it with with YouTube because people are like, oh, it's not going to look good on me. 
because you know well they should just get it on the players and then sell it in the in in the club shop. So I bet you, you won't be invited back next year. Sorry, lads. Um, but I, I actually quite like the grey one. Uh, that's that you know I think grey is a good colour. It's quite modern, quite sleek. I I, I don't mind the hoop bit, uh, I, and so I think uh, I think it's going to grow on people. Is 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 my view. Uh, I don't think it's our best kit, but it's certainly not the worst we've ever had. Um, if they ever bring back that sort of greeny yellow one that we used to have, uh, that was your favourite, wasn't it, Lewis? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think it, it could be it could be a lot worse. I think it'll grow on people when hopefully it's one of those things. If the team's winning, people want to buy the merchandise. I just want to point out as well. Um, obviously, there's been pre-season games, but obviously the women's team is wearing the um, has got the same kits. Obviously, for for having away this year, and actually, I've seen probably more of the women's team in action than, than the men so far this year. I think the kits look great. They look great on, and like you said, James, um, you know when you got pictures of Ben Curry and Manu Tuolangi in the kit versus myself and Alex, you, you do kind of see, oh, okay, yeah, these these boys are. A little bit more muscular and a little bit more tone than we are, and that's just how the kits are supposed to be. So, um, if uh, if if our guest appearance in the photo shoot was keeping you away from buying them, well, now you've got much better looking people in them as well. So, um, always good to get your thoughts on it, James. And next year we will get you on the the kit review pod. Can Can I point out that we were wearing match fit shirts, and <laughs> I am not match fit. I am the furthest thing away from match fit you can imagine. <laughs> so, listen, there is a little bit of a supply issue with replica shirts versus match fit, and therefore it's very tight around the, the stomach area. <laughs> Mate, I've, we've touched the nerve here, haven't we? A, a year in, a year you in want lockdown. to share with the group? Get off your chest. Uh, a year in lockdown. Of Any more insecurities you want to share with Twitter and uh, all our listeners? <laughs> Well, I've, I've spent a year in lockdown doing nothing but sitting on my sofa drinking booze, so I'm not in the best shape of my life. <laughs> and someone's asked me to put on the tightest shirt I've ever worn. It's fine. <laughs> I'm all right with it. I, it, was, it was thoroughly enjoyable, and I really liked it. And yes, it does look better on the players. Um, but we were honoured to be invited. Can I just do a last word as well before you do your sign-off, Lewis? Uh, get down to the bath game, everybody. You know, it, we were out with the... You know, we're out of the habit, aren't we? Because it's been so long and COVID's still flying around. But, you know, the the, the fans are back in and you've got to get started early to get back into the habit. Get along to support the boys. You can listen to this podcast and think about what all our chances are and stuff. But you can bet your bottom dollar that our chances are better with a full stadium than they are with an empty stadium. So get yourself down there. Perfect way to sign off. Thanks to everybody uh, so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the season preview. We hope you enjoy the season. Uh, keep listening to the Shark Time podcast. Uh, but until next week, uh, that's everything from us. So thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll see you at the AJ Bell sometime soon. Bye.